Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello and welcome to Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and I am here with a guest I am very excited to talk to. Uh, Not only are they a comic book writer, they are one of the winners of the Mad Cave 2019 Talent Search. Uh, they are also a lawyer uh, in Australia. So uh, how exciting is that? But please welcome <laughs> to the podcast, uh, David Hazan. David, how are you doing today? Good, thank you, Jimmy. How are you? I'm I'm doing very well. Uh, I was, you know, I was lawyering all day, and um, I had a doctor's deposition and some other things, and now I'm doing this. And uh, I, I've just been very excited to talk to lawyers that also are into comics recently. And um, it's, you know, and I'm especially excited to talk to you because I, I think I know, I don't know, I don't know anything really in terms of similarities or differences in terms of the practice of law in Australia. Um, so I can't wait to kind of find out about your, your, your journey in that, um, you know, but I wanted to start with all the stuff that you have coming out right now, um, in particular, uh, Nottingham which volume one, volume two are out now. It's the tales of Nottingham um, or tales from Nottingham. Uh, I I just absolutely love this series. Um, Thank you. So, I mean, why don't we start there and tell me, I mean, this kind of all stemmed from you winning the 2019 Mad Cave talent search. Um, Let's start with what, what made you in the first place want to enter that and had you written things before? Had you written any comic scripts before you decided to enter that contest? Uh, yeah, I, I had, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of been writing for a few years for myself, and nobody had ever seen the, you know, litany of uh, half quarter finished novels that uh, reside somewhere <laughs> in the back of a of a. Uh, drive never to be you know never to be seen by uh, <laughs> <laughs> by anyone right. um, but uh so <clears throat> i've always been obsessed with kind of comics related media um and uh finally some very uh generous <laughs> and patient colleagues of mine uh when i was working uh at the time for a legal publication um decided that they'd had enough of me talking about them with actually without actually reading the source material. And so they shoved a copy of Batwoman Elegy into my hands, and that was kind of my gateway drug. Uh, from there, I was hooked, and I think it was like less than a year before I was writing comic scripts, uh, and then entered the Mad Cave Talent Search, and uh, in a ridiculous turn of events, uh, one, <laughs> which led... Uh, which led to Nottingham. Um, <clears throat> Mad Cave kind of said, to, gave me a bit of free reign as to what uh, what I wanted to do. They were like, we want a noir apart from that. We're not super fussy. Um, and uh, that's how Nottingham was born. Wow. Um, so had you, you know, had exposure to, you said you, you, uh, I think you said you were obsessed with like comic book related media. I'm, I'm assuming TVs and, and mo- TV shows and movies. But had you been exposed to comics at all, like um, uh, you know, as a kid or growing up? Um, I can remember maybe two or three comics that were in the house growing up. Like I've, I was a big reader, um, mostly a lot of like sci-fi, fantasy stuff as a kid. But I remember there was a like a Simpsons Treehouse of Horror uh, anthology that we had for some reason, um, and there was also like a Star Wars uh, anthology that we had that was like looking at alternate worlds. Some of the material from that Star Wars anthology has now been made canon, which is wild. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't really remember ever like having anyone encourage me to read comics. And I think that mm-hmm. was kind of uh, why I never started until I was an adult. And then, you know, I went really tumbling down the rabbit hole really quickly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did a bit of the same. I 
my dad, I, I've told told this story before on the on the podcast, but my you know my dad would take my brother and I to the comic book shop, and we'd we'd get comics. I, I don't remember reading a lot of them as, as a kid, a, a handful of them. But then there were years that I I don't think I picked up a comic book until you know ten years ago or so, and then kind of like played catch up and read a lot of DC back issues and a lot of indie comics and and that sort of thing. Um, so what was it about, uh, you said Batwoman Elegy, what was it about that that really you're like, oh no, I'm, I'm all in? I mean, uh, th- that book is kind of why I feel representation is really important in comics. Um, well, and I mean in any media, but that was a book where I really like, really saw me for the first time uh really in any media you know you you've got a a a protagonist who was like uh queer and jewish and you know powerful and uh kind of like butting heads against authority and i was just like enraptured by that and then you add to that the kind of spellbinding uh <laughs> art the um J.H. Williams' art is just gorgeous with those, you know, beautiful, inventive layouts. And I was hooked. I was like, oh, you can do this in comics? Uh, I want to I be a part of that. Um. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, I mean, I feel sometimes like folks who aren't like in comics and reading comics sometimes don't, you know, appreciate. I, I think comics really does a, a lot of times, especially in, in indie comics, kind of push um representation and and kind of does things that you're like oh this we we wouldn't we we it's going to be another 10 years before we see this reflected in movies or television and and comics is doing it um that's one of the things i you know i love about it i think there's so many different things you can do not only in terms of the visuals but also in in representation i mean i think that's you know hugely important everyone should be able to see themselves reflected in the things that they you know read and watch Absolutely. And, and, you know, it, beyond representation, it was just like the, the boldness of concept and like the execution is just in that book is just something that you could only do in comics. And I was like, it, it was almost like a revelation to me that comics could do all of these things because I had really never been exposed to it. Um, in that kind of way. Um, and yeah, from there I was, I was all in. <laughs> all right. It was, and so, you know, I, um, when I started and, and first tried to write a comic script, I mean, I had seen scripts before for, you know, a, a movie or, or I'd, I'd done plays, you know, growing up and in college and I had seen like a, you know, a theater script, but to sit down and start to write a comic script. And one of the things that, in terms of being a lawyer and like writing a brief or writing a motion, like, you know, as a, an attorney, I don't ever want to, you know, reinvent the wheel. So there's always a form or there's always something like on the computer that I can use. Um, and I, you know, went out and got like uh, Scott McCloud, Understanding Comics. And I think, is it Brian Michael Bendis's like uh, his book about writing comics? Did, did you, did you sit down and like get something to, Oh, this is how I, 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 I lay it all out or did you already have a pretty good idea and understanding when you, you sat down to actually start like scripting things? I mean, those are the two big books that people go to and those were my first two as well. Um, and then <clears throat> I kind of wanted a bit more detail. Uh, and I remember somebody had given me um, a copy of, I think it was Green Lantern Rebirth. Um, uh, I think it's Jeff Johns and uh, he who must not be named. <laughs> oh um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in 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 the in the back of there was uh, some script pages, um, and actually the outline of that first five issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned a ton from that, just from having you know reading the book and dissecting the you know the outlines of the script and. That was uh, that was how I learned to outline comics, and then 
you know, a few a few weeks later, I was outlining Nottingham using that <laughs> as a, using that as a format. It, like this, it, it's it's this career in comics kind of happened by accident, and I, that's not to you know downplay the you know years of hard work and uh, you know that I spent learning uh, writing as a craft, but um, I think uh, that a lot of this business is not just skill. It's also luck. And, you know, I'm very grateful to Mad Cave for the things that they've done and uh, the, the things that they continue to support. So. And so when you, you, you win the, the talent search in 2019 and then Mad Cave's like, all right, we're going to do a series. We, we just won a war. I mean, I, it's something like Nottingham. I, I mean, which is this retelling of, you know, Robin Hood and the sheriff and Maid Marian and all the characters that if you're familiar with that story, you're familiar with, but in this kind of medieval noir setting that also feels like very modern. I think the, you know, the the language that you use kind of helps that as well. It's like, Oh, this is a a setting I'm familiar with. Um, The language feels, I think makes it, feel updated but but why like how how did that you know because i i think like when you think oh a noir and you you think of like the the standard noir stuff and like the stuff from the 40s or the the 50s and those types of things and um or then like neo-noir science fiction i mean the idea of like a medieval noir how did that occur to you i I hate asking anyone where do your ideas come from but i'm just like that seems so far down on the list of places to go to and it's executed i mean so so beautifully um by you and the rest of the creative team which we'll we'll talk about in a minute but yeah how how did you get there um i really didn't want to do anything that had already been well trod you know and that that kind of uh detective with the inner monologue with the you know the hat and the trench coat it's. I didn't want to do that, and I didn't want to do like anything sort of cyberpunky or uh, neo noiry, um, because I really wanted to set this apart from everything else and do something new and interesting. And so, of course, you know, probably the most well trod fairy tale of all <laughs> of them all. <laughs> it's where I ended up, but I wanted to find a sort of uh, medieval allegory for um, kind of that post World War II anxiety that, or you know, mid and post World War II anxiety that that noir genre um, came from. Um, and I landed on the Crusades, which then I was like, well, what if this was a Robin Hood story? <laughs> and that's pretty much how my thought process landed where it is. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 there's just so many smart choices in terms of we're going to do a war it's going to be medieval uh we're we have the backdrop of the crusades we're centering it i mean it kind of fits with a noir you know you think a lot of private detective type stories but we're taking robin hood but we're kind of centering it and our protagonist is going to be the sheriff i mean um it's just there were a lot of unexpected choices that when i heard oh nottingham okay and i'm not expecting this comic to be exactly what it is when I, you know, I heard Mad Cave was doing it. Um, but man, two volumes, now the tales from Nottingham. It's just a real treat. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just, it, it's delightful. I mean, it's, it's horrific at times. But, it's, it's just... <laughs> but, but that's kind of part of the fun. It, you know, you see how awful people's lives were. And you're like, thank God that's not me. Um, right. Yeah. Also, uh, I just, you know, I'm just getting the start, the art start to come in on the third volume and it's really, you know, it's really thrilling and I'm ever thankful to be able to continue to get to tell this tale. And, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about those, uh, smart choices. It's really, the, the root of that is 
once you get to the sheriff as the protagonist and this being a noir, everybody kind of falls into their particular role very well. Um, and so it really all snowballed from that kind of one big decision to, you know, do Robin Hood as a noir, then to center the sheriff as the protagonist, and then everything else just fell into place. And it, it, it it comes from obviously a desire to kind of upend what has been previously done. Um, and so like the, the really obvious example is Marion, who I did not want to be the damsel in distress. And so the obvious choice for her in a noir is the femme fatale. Right. Um, and yeah, it, it, it just made sense. Uh, once I put it in the frame that I wanted to tell the story in, mm -hmm. all of those characters' roles kind of started to make sense. Yeah, I, I and I really like in terms of, you know, I thought when I first got into it and I was like, oh, I just thought it was very interesting and I really like the choices. And I'm like, yeah, but you feel like you have all that history. I mean, I'm, uh, I'll be 44 on Tuesday. So I've I've seen many inter iterations of Robin Hood. And, you know, I think of like, you know, Alan Rickman is uh, the sheriff in like, you know, Robin Hood. Uh, what is it? Prince of Thieves. Is that, the, and, and you, you have all that history in terms of a character. And like, I'm like in the third issue and I'm like, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm with the sheriff. Like, let's get the hood. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that was something that I was really mindful of as well is that, how do you make people side with the character that is intentionally designed for people to hate them? Um, and the answer is to make them hate everybody else even more. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But also kind of like, you know, everybody has, uh, Gen Z seems to have coined this phrase problematic fave. And I wanted, you know, I wanted the sheriff to be everybody's problematic favorite. Right. Um, so yeah. that's the, that's the yeah, route I, I went. And I mean, again, like, you know, in terms of the the plotting of it, um, you know, you kind of you, you, you there's some for anyone that hasn't like read volume one. I don't really want to spoil anything, but you know, there's a, a betrayal that happens to the sheriff, and you really show him being conflicted in terms of I think a lot of things and and where he has now found himself and. Um, having returned from the crusades and how he finds Nottingham and how he finds all of England. And, um, I mean, you really have, have put a lot around him. Um, which again, it just makes for very, very, you know, compelling, uh, storytelling, you know, but also the artwork it's, uh, Shane Connery Volk and Luca Oof. Romano colors, Justin Birch. I love Justin Birch, uh, so uh lettering, but, but the Shane Connery is Volk. Joe Matt Gill on letters. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. And so Justin took over is, uh, the second volume though. Yeah. From, okay. from the second volume and also, um, a couple issues of tales from Nottingham, um, and the free comic book day special as well. Okay. That is that the, the Christmas, yeah. Themed one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've read that, that too. Um, so volume one was, I'm sorry, was, uh, was Joe Medgill. Yeah. Uh, on, on letters for on volume letters. one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean the, the, I, you know, the, it's just the artwork, Shane Connery Volk just really, mm -hmm. I, I, whether or not it's the action, the blood and, and gore, um, well, you know, more so blood it's, but, the it's just it's so dynamic and i think it's um with a lot of scenes with like small armies you can kind of lose characters sometimes but i don't feel that like ever happening i always know where everybody is on the page um yeah it's just a wonderful team for for both volumes absolutely and they've just been the best collaborators really I finally got to meet Shane uh, at New York Comic Con last year, and that was, you know, a trip after working with the man, you know, for would have been about would be three years. So uh, three years almost to the day since uh, the talent search winners were announced was that 
New York Comic Con last year and, you know, I, I I'm at a point where I just give Shane pages and he just does his thing and it's just, you know, delightful every time. Um, and I let Shane give notes to Luca if he wants to, but I generally stay the hell out of that and just write <laughs> scripts now. And it, it, it's, it's a joy. It's a joy to just watch them do their thing and not have to, uh, really give notes at all. Um, and just to, you know, right. let them stretch their legs. And I always ask before I start a new volume, what do you want to draw? Um, and now it's just like whatever, just give me whatever. I trust you in return, and right. that that's that's the greatest, you know, that's the greatest right. compliment of all from your artists when they just um, when they have as much faith in you as you have in them. Yeah, I was. I'm curious, you know, right? Being a lawyer, and if you if you're in litigation, like you know, I am, and having you know, I have the my office. There's like four lawyers and a you know, several paralegals and it is very much a team effort. But a lot of times, you know, you're, you're in court arguing on your own, you're writing stuff on your own. And, you know, um, you're, a lot of it is like on you. Was it difficult at all to kind of, you know, with comics, like working with a team and really collaborating and, and that, that give and take of, well, I, I saw it this way and an artist gives you something else. Or are you able to like get out of the way and say, oh, Shane knows what he's doing. I think for the first few issues, it was kind of hard for me to get my head around that. Um, but once the work started flowing and, you know, like as a writer, you, uh, you still only have a limited amount of time. So I can either spend my time focusing on the next issue or trying to, you know, be, you know, that, uh, I guess feed that detail-oriented lawyer brain by trying to tell somebody else what to do. Um, and at the end of the day, I choose, you know, the thing that A, gives me the most joy and B, the thing that's best for the creative process. Right. So I just let them do their thing now. And, you know, unless there's something major on the page that I feel I need to correct, and then I just, you know, let let things be how they are because the artist knows what's you know, what looks good on the page much better than I do. I feel like I'm a visual thinker, but I have no, like I have, I have no built artistic skills, you know, visually. So it's really, I just let them do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I, I could, I, I can't, I can't draw. I have no, no artistic ability. I, I, I understand. I get it. I have, I have a 10 year old who like loves to draw and is already at 10 much better than I could ever have ever hoped to be no matter how how many years i would have practiced and it's just a, a mystery to me um so i'm always amazed when ever i write anything and someone hands me like a comic page and it's like it's like oh i don't i don't know how this magic happened <laughs> yeah and the answer is they spent a day maybe two maybe three making it happen. yeah 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 a lot of hard work uh a lot of skill um and so now, so you're working on volume three, volume one and, and, and two are out. Um, and uh, uh, volume two, which saw kind of uh, uh, an uneasy alliance between uh, the sheriff and, uh, and the hood. Um, yeah, another just, and the introduction of a couple of new characters. We saw uh, Maid Marion make, make some moves. Um, yeah, just another, another stellar, you know, volume of, of comics. And did I see, was it volume one or volume two was shortlisted for uh, like uh, an, an Ari Ellis award, um, like an Australian, yeah. like speculative fiction award. Yeah. So uh, we got shortlisted. Uh, this announcement just came out, I guess, today at the time of, <laughs> oh, okay. uh, or yesterday, um, I guess at the time of, this filming um we were shortlisted for the orialis awards which is uh australia's kind of premier um sci-fi fantasy uh writing awards so that's pretty cool alongside some really fantastic books um uh so that's very exciting um yeah congratulations thank you that's awesome thank you 
And so um, with the main series, and then uh, we talked a little bit about Tales from Nottingham, but kind of how did that get born out of it? Was it a chance to, is this going to be like, uh, like almost like a, an anthology over a number of issues, just telling kind of like side stories? Because I think issue number one dealt with um, a character that was we met in volume two. Yeah. So Tales from Nottingham, uh, Mad Cave came to me and said they'd love to use Nottingham as a vehicle to showcase 2021's crop of talent search winners. Um, and would I help them do that? And I said, absolutely. Um, I was really excited for the chance to take all of the things that I had learned over the two years doing this and <laughs> and give them back to uh some people and you know all of them are amazingly talented uh creators um in their own rights um <clears throat> so we are uh we're on issue two came out this week at the time of filming this um which is uh written by the lovely uh Anna Everts and uh, is illustrated by Gabriel Serra with uh, colors by Josh Jensen and uh, letters by Justin Birch again, I believe. Um, great, great uh, story about an early mystery confronted by the sheriff. Um, then we've got Issue three will be in April, um, and that one is uh, ooh, uh, <laughs> so, uh, Scooper? Scooper and uh, Federico uh, Bertoni, um, and that's a Marion origin story. Then we've got you know uh, Dylan Essex uh, and uh, forgive me, I've forgotten the artist's name um, <clears throat> in. Uh, May with uh, a, a tuck story um, and then uh, we've got uh, Damien Becton's written a um, the origin story of Robin Hood and the Merry Man which is coming in June and then oh, finally awesome. in finally in July we have our prelude to volume 3 which is written by Mag Zisaggio and illustrated by Victor Santos so <laughs> wow <laughs> i mean talk about some some talent in all of those issues that is yeah. awesome i i could not be more excited this is you know some really fun stuff that we get to do um and i sat with uh brian hawkins at the beginning of this process and we just spitballed idea upon idea upon idea of how do we build the uh backstories of all these characters out how do we build these laterally rather than just trying to push the main story forward but have each issue still feel like it mattered um and give each of these creators the tools and the breadth to actually practice their craft rather than just sort of giving them instructions as to what to do and how to do it um and i think they've all really wonderfully um shown the uh really the magic of comics uh <laughs> in each of their issues um and you know it has me excited to see what all of them do next yeah that's fantastic um were you like as a as a, a story editor or c consultant for yeah for each kind of, of yeah so each of the, the issues that i didn't write i kind of uh acted as some form of editorial slash story consultant on um and yeah it was it was such a fun process that's that's great i mean i really enjoyed tales from nottingham number uh number one so i can't wait to see the rest of the issues especially because yeah. you know one if you're you know active in like indie comics on twitter or you know and with comic book yeti and i've seen a lot of those folks you know, I've seen their names come up either as writers or artists. So I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, actually I just talked to, I did a live stream with some of the folks from the, the amongst the stars anthology and, yeah. uh, as a, which Damien was, uh, Damien Becton was on last night. So yeah, yeah. looking forward to that. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think all of these people are going to go very far. As far as I can see, they are not only incredibly hard workers, but also just, you know, they have a great understanding of, of storytelling, both on the art and the writing side. Um, and all of these books look beautiful. Um, they will look different, obviously, uh, <laughs> when you uh, put anything up against, you know, Shane's art, um, people are going to make comparisons, but um, all of these books look, you know, absolutely gorgeous and uh, feel kind of right in their own way for the kinds of stories that are told within them. So Awesome. Yeah, and well, turning away from from Nottingham, I understand yeah. that you were kind enough to send me some some previews to take a look at for two two other series that you have coming out. So I'm, we're, we're recording this, um, not it's it's almost mid March, but um, by the time this folks are listening to this episode, I, I, you have um, one that I know has already been announced, Monomyth, which is also with Mad Cave. Yeah, and that's uh, with Cecilia Lovalvo, uh, Marissa Luis, and uh, Lucas Gattoni. Um, yeah, why, why don't you tell folks uh, what that's about? <laughs> um, I always like, and this is the first time I'm kind of verbally pitching this one, but uh, this one's always really difficult to kind of encapsulate because I don't want to spoil anything. But essentially, um, the Last Wizard uh, kind of casts a final desperate spell and summons the descendants of several ancient uh, magical bloodlines uh, to his now um, long-abandoned school of magic. Uh, and what they find there is uh, going to confront them and challenge them in ways that they uh, have yet to <laughs> imagine. Um, and it's going to be very spooky. Uh, <laughs> And it's we've got a lot of uh, horror vibes uh, that we've laced into this one, um, and I can't wait for people to be uh, surprised and hopefully enthralled by it. Yeah, I I mean uh, I read the first issue and I I I, I like I'll tell you I start when I started I I was like okay I, I I read nothing about it beforehand I just saw the name the title and that. You were the writer of it, and, and the rest of the creative team. I'm like, well, oh, I, I like all these folks. Okay, good. And I start. I, I knew nothing else about it. I started into it, and I was, I was like, okay, what is this about? And then, like, I think by like the, the second page, I was like, I don't, I don't, I have no, I have no idea what what this is. And then I think it's like the third or fourth page. I was like, oh, I get it. And then like the fifth page, I was like, nope, nope, I was wrong. That's not what it is. Um. Yeah, I, I, there were a couple of things like there's some things in it that that felt like they were uh, little touch tones that reminded me of certain things. But um, yeah, I I couldn't. I wanted to ask you, but I couldn't tell if this was going to be more in like a fantasy setting or more in like a, a a horror type of setting. I mean, I really like the cast. I like how you in the writing brought the folks together. I mean, I love the artwork in it. I love the colors in it. Lucas Gattoni's phenomenal letterer. Um, I mean, Lucas, you know, Lucas is my ride or die in comics at this point. Um, uh, I love that man to death. And I think he is really kind of understated as one of, you know, the top five letterers in the business. And I really hope that the next, you know, a couple of years really brings that to bear for a lot of people. Um, no pun intended. Uh, but <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> yeah, like monomyth is incredibly hard to uh, describe in an elevator pitch. Um, and we do touch on um, uh, some references to uh, certain uh, fantasy uh, stories, which, uh, uh, kind of uh, occupying the zeitgeist at the moment. Sure, sure. Um, and and those comparisons are intentional and inevitable. Um, and this whole thing was kind of really born out of um, my reaction to, uh, you know, 
she who must not be named. I'm doing that again. <laughs> but her betrayal of a generation of fans. Um, and I don't yeah. want to editorialize it, um, uh, but I, because I want to let the work speak for itself. Um, but I hope, you know, it takes a few hard left turns that nobody expected. And it's a really enjoyable read, even though, you know, I've kind of put my feelings about all of that onto the page. I'm not trying to, you know, proselytize to anyone. It's just how I feel about it. And that's how we make stories. Uh, right. It's based on how, you know, how I, how we feel about the world at large and, you know, reducing that to plot and theme and character and, you know, it's a story about stories um, and how I think stories are told today. I mean, uh, that's my main takeaway from it was I, and you know, you said it much better than, than I was going to try to, but it, it felt like a story about stories. I mean, I think, you know, that's kind of in the, the title of it. Um, I just, I really enjoyed that I didn't know where it was going though. Like when I say from like page to page, I thought I I had it. And like, I mean, I've read a lot of comics, you know, in the past 10 years yeah. and for Comic Book Yeti. And I still felt like I wasn't, like it felt familiar. And I'm like, oh, I see these things, but I still wasn't sure. And I'm still not even sure by the first issue. Um, <laughs> like I couldn't put it in a box. And that's what I like. I mean, I like, I like that aspect of it where i'm still not sure where it's going i don't know um i don't know what it is you and the the, the rest of the creative team want to say with it yet um but i feel like it has something to say and there was so much in that first issue that i want to you know i i want i want to hear it you know so yeah. i was very really real really enjoyed it and it's also some some fantasy stories, some horror stories. Um, I think they, when they try to have like some funny elements, it's becomes it, it, it like well, Scream Six just came out, so it's like it's like that when Scream first came out, it's like meta and self-referential. And I felt there was some like, especially with the 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 main character, the wizard, there was like some some quirkiness or some whimsy that was also threatening. <laughs> I really like that aspect yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that like, you know, it's, it, it's that kind of, it, it's my first real foray into a meta text in comics. Um, and I, I wanted it to, uh, in, in part, not take itself too seriously, but not be afraid to go into that, you know, into the darkest, deepest, you know, places of the human experience um, and the places we're going, you know, are far darker. And there is some, you know, levity and weirdness. And I love, I, I think, so the character you're referring to is the, is the kind of, is the wizard's uh, homunculus servant. Yeah. Oh, yeah um, okay. And he speak, his speech patterns will remind you kind of, of like vaguely of a few different, uh, similar <laughs> characters throughout, uh, I guess, the pop culture co consciousness. He's kind of like the wizard's Igor, um, you know, and I, I just, I, I think he's a, a really uh, fascinating storytelling vehicle and I can't wait to, <laughs> without, I, I feel like I can only talk about this in the vaguest terms uh, right. without spoiling anything. <laughs> It, it, and I'm really sorry for that. Um, uh, but re read the book. Uh, and this is why one's always a bit difficult to to uh, describe. But yeah, I you know, I really had a lot of fun with this. And uh, keep your mind open when you're reading this. Think about how stories work and why we might be doing what we're doing and why characters might ma be making the decisions they're making. But it's a world where uh, magic and storytelling is synonymous um, and it's, uh, that's not necessarily uh, you know, a good thing for our characters. It's <laughs> kind of horrifying. <laughs> yeah. It, really, I will say it was, it's like if you think about how much trauma as writers we put our characters through, why would you ever want that 
Hogwarts invitation. Do you know what I mean? Why would right. you want that <laughs> when you know it's just going to end in, you know, like a horrifying fascist takeover of your society? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I I will say this. It it definitely ended in a place, uh, once again, was not expecting. Um, it's like, uh, that's that's worth the worth the the three ninety nine or four ninety nine, whatever it is, to see how this issue ends because it's yeah not what I was expecting. And I <laughs> nope yeah <laughs> um yeah so you have that coming from Mad Cave and then um I think you also have another series uh that's yeah um out comics. Yeah, we have Death Drop Drag Assassin coming from Scout Comics uh, in June. I believe 14th of June is the release date on that one. And Monomyth was, I think, the 3rd of May for issue one. Um, Yeah, and this is kind of like the first comic I wrote coming back to haunt everybody. (laughs) 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 Um, Obviously, it's been through a few iterations since then. but the basic premise is that it is uh, about an ex-hitman turned drag queen um, who is kind of hiding uh, from her past, um, who then uh, is spurred into action when one of her drag sisters goes missing as part of a, you know, a kind of broader, mysterious rash of disappearances. Um, and that's with um, Alex Moore? And then and yeah. Lucas Gattoni. Yeah, Alex and uh Lucas uh Lucas once again. Um as I said, you know, Lucas is uh phenomenal and I always jump at the chance to work with him. Um so <laughs> when Mad Cave asked me who I wanted to let him on a myth, he was my first choice. <laughs> uh, and so I I, I I mean, is this something that was like a story you had told before? Because I, w- I wasn't familiar with that aspect of it. Is it like a shorter comic that you had done before or a story? No, no, I wrote, okay. I wrote, I, this is the first full length comic that I wrote. Uh, you know, I would have been back in 2018 now. Um, and it's gone through a few kind of iterations that have been pitched before. Um we landed on this uh, particular uh, creative team and this particular script, and you know it. It's uh, you know it's very exciting. It's kind of like a full circle journey after having made all these comics to then go back and and you know do the actually do the first one to have it uh, be published. And I think to me, Death Drop was a reaction to a lot of the queer comics that I was seeing being made uh which you know a good chunk of them were fell into two sometimes overlapping categories uh one being lots of stuff uh which is kind of sanitized for mainstream audiences and then in on the other hand you have a lot of stuff that was about um you know queer superheroes punching homophobic villains and I wasn't interested in doing either of those things um, so you'll see Death Drop naturally opens with Death Drop punching you know homophobic yeah. villains right <laughs> but, but then we immediately uh, begin to subvert that as you know um, a lot of mysterious things start to go down in the neighborhood um and yeah, this one is a neo noir set in modern times, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I I mean, Alex Moore, the artwork's great. Um, the action from the opening where we meet um where we meet uh our Death Drop, uh mm-hmm. the drag assassin, uh beating up uh a few homophobic fellas in an alley, saving someone. Uh what I really I really appreciated the dialogue between Death Drop and um, I, I don't remember the other character's name, but the Mother the, Henny, yeah, the yeah. Mother Henny, yes. Um, the conversation between the two of them at times seemed, I mean, not very noirish. It seemed very realistic. It was very like, um, you know, they're back and forth. I really that that got me into it. Like I liked the action. I liked the story, but the, the conversations the two of them had 
about what Mother Henny was asking uh, Death Drop to do in terms of investigating disappearance and um, the realness and the frankness of their their conversation. I thought was was I I, I was there for that. I was like, all right, yeah, I want to know yeah. more about these two, about their relationship, about what's going on, and you know. Um that re- that relationship was really drawn for me for me from you know my uh what, you know my friendship with one of my best friends um and you know i think there's this big tradition especially uh amongst gay men but also you know in most uh queer friendship circles where there's this kind of inter- intergenerational um transfer of knowledge and it was interesting for me to get to f- explore that through that idea of, you know, a drag mother, drag daughter relationship. And I think a lot of those um, transfers of knowledge, unfortunately, some of them have been lost uh, in the AIDS crisis. Um, and uh, I, I, I kind of, I really wanted to try and represent not just, uh, I guess, queer romantic love but also queer platonic love um and that sometimes it's not about you know uh uh flag waving and pride marching sometimes it's just about you know that sharing of of knowledge Mm -hmm. and i mean talking you mentioned this before in terms of um writing some of the stories and the queer representation in comics and in other media that you, you know, were seeing and like, and wanted to see. And I've seen this conversation happen before online, which is probably like, you know, not a, not a great place for certain conversations to happen, but I'm just curious, the idea of, you know, sometimes when, and you mentioned it in terms of like a relationship having to be or gay relationship, a queer relationship having to be sanitized, but also the idea that, a queer relationship in order to uh, uh palatable's the wrong word but in order to 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 be okay to like a mainstream audience has to be like perfect like we can't see a queer relationship and it's messy like yeah. heterosexual relationships um i mean is that I, I something think, you're interested in exploring do you think there's some truth I to that we we do we do do some exploring of that and i think the 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 issue is that for a very long time, queer relationships uh, fell into one very specific trope uh, in mainstream media, um, which is the bury your gays trope, where no matter what happened, that relationship would always have to end in tragedy. Right. Um, And I think that we're at a point where we can allow queer creators to have their queer relationships be messy and end in tragedy and have it not fall into that trope. I think mm-hmm. it's the lack of, of sensitivity that uh, ultimately leads to that trope. But I don't think, you know, all queer relationships that don't end in, you know, this kind of uh, utopic, uh, you know, wandering off into the sunset uh, ending, that's not, you know, it's not a representation of real life. And, right. you know, as long as you're avoiding the kind of exploitation of that tragedy, um, then it should be okay to tell sad queer stories. You know, if you look at uh, uh, Bellhound's work, for instance, um, if anybody's familiar with that. Don't beautiful, even mention Bellhound's name. Even mention Bellhound's <laughs> name, and I'm going to start crying, David. <laughs> I I love those comics. <laughs> or, or you know, um, anyone who's seen episode three of the Last of Us TV show, beautiful, sad, you know, sad stuff. But at the end of the day, there's that fantastic little line uh, from um, I think uh, the Nick Offerman character says it. Um, where he's like, this isn't, uh, you know, the end of a of a a tragedy. This is two people who've lived a full life, you know, deciding to 
ended together. So, right. Something to that effect. And I thought, you know, that's, you know, that's it. They've got it. Uh, you know, you can have, a, you know, something that ends tragically, but is still beautiful and, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't exploit that, that tragedy, you know, for tragedy's sake. So. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's there's a little bit of of drawing on on that, um, and as we get uh, into issue four of Death Drop, you'll really get a look at that. And issue five is what happens after. So don't worry, I've been thinking about this a while. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it is that how many, is it five issues? Uh, five issues to start with. Hopefully, um, we'll get to do more, but that also depends on. Uh, how uh, the reception to the book, right. and I'm 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 really hopeful. I really didn't want to look at kind of the kind the overt uh, expression of homophobia. I was much more interested in looking at how we internalize that, and obviously the the uh, the zeitgeist again has really kind of taken a turn while I've been. Uh, while I've been making this book um, and drag is very heavily politicized at the moment as are trans people. um, Absolutely. Unfortunately. Um, Yeah. And uh, you know, I I think to me, I, I, it's kind of like a, a happy accident that this book is coming at the time that it's coming, because I think we're really, I'm really trying to show the beauty of the art form that is drag for me as a fan of it um, and also the real healing power that it does in getting people to kind of break out of the self-destructive cycles and find uh, meaning and, uh, and, and, and discover really who they are beyond the confines of uh, what society expects of us. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, I love that expression of it. Um, and I, I look forward to the series. I'm going to order it. I'm going to tell everybody to order it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... Appreciate you know, that. There's a comedy, a comedy, a comic, like, interview podcast. But, I mean, uh, my, my my friends, uh, my, my feelings are well known as to what is going on in this country in terms of demonizing drag performers. And I, I absolutely loathe it. So, um, it's just awful. Um, and you know, we just do what we can to try and make a dent, uh, in that. Um, and that's the philosophy I try to take, uh, into death drop, um, and into Nottingham and into Monomyth, honestly, sometimes you just got to do what you can. Right. Um, however small that thing might be. Uh, no, I, I agree. I'll just. Yeah, you have to. And I mean, you know, if, if that's as a lawyer or a storyteller, you know, you have to you have to do that. Um, you know, I uh, before I let you go, I, I did want to talk <laughs> about in terms of your your being a lawyer in Australia. And I mean, what is what type of law do you do you practice? I mean, are you do you still practice? So I'm not practicing anymore. Um I uh, have transitioned back into a uh, legal technology day job um, uh, wherein I help uh, lawyers, law firms, and legal departments uh, automate their documents, processes, and workflows, um, which sounds very dry, but it engages a part of my brain that allows me to, when I finish working, actually uh, write because it's much more (laughs) logical um, uh-huh. and so I spend my days really, um, setting up contract lifecycle management systems, um, okay. automating documents, everything from tax restructuring documents to, you know, basic NDAs. Um, right. so that, that's what the day job entails at this, at this okay. current juncture. Did you practice? Were you uh? Were you when you did practice? Were were you a litigator? Yeah. Were you in court? Yeah, or what did you do? I was. Uh, I was a litigator, but um, because we have a split profession here, um, it's not quite the same as what you would do. Um, because uh, I'm a solicitor, um, rather than a barrister, so I don't actually do 
the actual uh, advocacy part of the trial okay. work. So as a yeah. solicitor and like in terms of a case, you take it all the way up to like trial and then hand it off to the barrister? Yeah. Yeah. Yes and no. Sometimes okay. in sort of those pre-trial steps, uh, you'll have barristers involved um, depending on, you know, the nature of and size of the, the case uh, okay. and the seriousness and also the resources of the client, unfortunately. But yeah. that's how the cookie crumbles in this business. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, depending on, you know, the type of law. Like, I'm a personal injury and, like, workers' comp right. attorney. So, you know, we we work off of contingent fees and, you know, all the all the jokes that that, in, that entails. <laughs> yeah. Um, that sort of stuff is really heavily regulated here, which is, uh, interestingly enough. Um, yeah. So, we don't, we're not allowed to do uplift uh, stuff. It's... It's either, you know, you charge your fees or you don't, and that's it. There's no sort of, you know, percentages or anything like that oh, okay. uh, of, of, of a settlement. Right. Um, so instead, it's just you charge for your work or you don't charge for your work. <laughs> Much simpler. <laughs> Much simpler, and uh, I think it's a little more honest, but also it can be a barrier because people are less financially incentivized necessarily to take on those, you know, no win, no fee kind of right. cases because you can't take that, you know, yeah. you can't get the reward that you, you know, you desire necessarily if you, yeah. you win, you get the work that you did, which is the work that you did. But all, all my fellow personal injury attorneys would curse me if they heard me say this in the States, but it, it does avoid <laughs> the situation of like the attorney getting a windfall or, like a class action lawsuit in the States, which, you know, can potentially make tens of millions of dollars for the attorney and very little compensatory damages for the, I, I can hear everyone shutting off their podcast at the word <laughs> compensatory damages, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, wait till, wait till I get, uh, you know, get to start uh, doing this comic that I've been working on for a little, like just, scripting for a little bit you'll you're gonna gonna love uh we'll talk about it after this is over but okay okay <laughs> yes um, um we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna send us some uh lawyers in interesting ways i think um, oh good well good yeah. um uh, well david <laughs> i cannot thank you enough for coming on and talking to me today um i'm just uh following you on twitter i'm a huge fan thank i you. absolutely Love Nottingham. Um, I can't wait to see where Monomyth is going. And I'm I'm gonna add to my pull list um uh Death Drop Drag Assassin. I keep wanting to say drop dead, death drop drag assassin. Um, and I, I just I really love the I really love the creative teams, the folks you work with, but especially on that one, Alex Moore and Lucas Gatoni. So and um I just can't wait to see where that story goes uh, as well. I uh I, I really thank you for coming on today and talking to me, talking about comics. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Um, all right. So everyone listening, your, um, your homework, you're going to go and uh, you're going to check out Nottingham if you haven't yet and look for Monomyth from Mad Cave and uh, Death Drop Drag Assassin from Scout Comics. And um, you... Uh, are going to come back and uh, you know find me on Twitter and and tell me that I was right and that these are great and um, especially once we start getting into Monomyth, I I want folks to find me and let's figure out what it's about because <laughs> 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 I we're, we're going to start a, a internet book club because I I uh, I it's I think it's one that we can we can dig into um, I love I love stories about storytelling. I mean, if you want to do like a, like a, um, you know how they do a kind of post show after, um, each episode of, of right. some of these new shows, I'm happy to do like a 15 minute post show <laughs> after, if you want to, if you want to do it every month, I'll do it. <laughs> we'll that would, you know about what? It. We should, we should do it like uh, on Wednesday, new comic book day, you know, or give folks a chance to read it like a few days after the issue comes out and we'll do uh we'll, we'll call it like monomything or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, David, thank you so much. Um, 
All right, for Comic Book Yeti, I am uh, Jimmy Gasparro. If you in- enjoy listening to me um, rambling on about comics and interviewing unbelievably talented folks, uh, please rate and review and like and all that stuff they tell you to do if you like a podcast. And um, thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. Thanks again, David. Thank you. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptic Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.